Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And tonight we have a pretty busy episode for an off-season uh, podcast as we have News about minor league player housing for 2022 and beyond as major league teams are now going to start covering that cost. Uh, in addition, we have the Orioles instructional fall league roster, which we'll take a quick dive into before turning our attention to arbitration eligible players on the Orioles roster and our offseason predictions. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business. It was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. Now, as some of you know, may know, we do have a community on Patreon, and uh, every time we get new members of the community, we like to shout them out here on the podcast. So Bob's here with our latest member, shout out. Yeah, Yoni Finkelstein, welcome to the team. You're uh, straight to AA, past all the low minors. Right up there. So appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot. Yeah, and our patrons can continue to look forward to more uh, daily content over the offseason with some prospect recaps and the occasional bonus show. Um, on our main podcast so tonight, we've got a lot of big news to get into. One of them is news that was broken by Jeff Passan on Sunday night, which is that Major League Baseball teams are going to start providing housing for minor league players in 2022. At the time of the report, some of the details were not exact, whether or not that would come in the form of a per diem or if minor league affiliates would pay for the cost of housing and then be reimbursed by the major league team. Um, so there's still a lot of things we don't know. And as we said on Twitter, there are still a lot of changes needed for players who don't make very much money. Uh, it's, but one step here in the right direction. So I'll just start with Nick on this news. Yeah, it was pretty shocking to see uh, and pretty awesome. I mean, it's a big victory. It's, it's uh it's troublesome that we have to tout like uh finding a home for minor leaguers is like big news like this should have been standard many 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 years ago but uh you know you hear just so many horror stories about minor leaguers you know cramming six seven eight guys into a one-bedroom apartment and you know these guys are expected to be the ballpark for all day during baseball season uh and then at nighttime when the game's over and you're done with everything, like to not have a place, a reliable, steady place, like lay your head down at night, like 
that's just basic, you know, a necessity for life. And I mean, it's, it's a good win. It's a good first step for a lot of these minor leaguers. And I'm happy that a lot of these guys get to spend their paychecks on food, uh, on their families and other life necessities. And they don't have to worry about housing, hopefully, as long as all this goes off without a hitch. But uh, it's it's a huge win for these guys. And I'm very excited for all these minor leaguers that don't get those big bonuses and have to live paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, like I did tweet that there are a lot of other issues, but uh, this is a big win for a lot of guys. And, and I'm happy for them. Yeah, my favorite tweet I saw was Rainy Jazeerly. Uh, he said, congratulations to Major League Baseball on meeting the labor standards of 1957, uh, which is true, but it, it's better late than never, I guess. You know, it's pretty cool for these guys, and I'm surprised it hasn't happened sooner, obviously, but not just for the humanity aspect, but just because the strategic advantage. I mean, you're going to get better performances, better development if these guys are just well-rested, well-fed, and, and ready to just focus on the task at hand, so... Great stuff to see. Hopefully, you know, the new CBA can continue to iron out some of these kinks. And next, maybe they double the salaries of all the minor leaguers. It'd be nice to see. I mean, you know, minor league housing, and this is where I'll just throw in a personal note, was that my parents were host families in Hagerstown for a number of years uh, before that team was eliminated last year. Uh, It's a tough thing because it's not just the cost of finding housing, but in a lot of cases, putting your name on a lease for a place that you might not live in the entire six months of your lease. Uh, so it's so little things like that that come into play for players that can be tough. So this is big news. Especially this year in the Orioles farm system where everybody played like at least two teams. Yeah. And at least like you're lucky if you if you're with the Orioles organization, you know, Bowie, Aberdeen, Delmarva are fairly close together. Not close enough to like get one apartment if you get moved up across three levels or anything like that. But like. You know, imagine if you're like a Giants minor leaguer where you know your double A team is down the road from me in Richmond and your triple A team is out there. All of your other minor league teams are on the West Coast. Like that's a whole nother like separate issue for a Giants minor league podcast there. But like that's I mean, it's it's big. Uh, and like you said, like with trades, you know, guys get traded during the season. If you're a prospect that gets traded, you have to learn this new organization. You're still fighting for a job. And now, you know, you're like a, if you're switching across the coast you don't have to worry about housing anymore. And that's such a, such a big issue. And, you know, just, especially I feel like now, you know, all of us, you know, a couple of us are building homes and looking for new homes and we know what a pain that is. And so if you're a minor leaguer who's making 10, $12,000 a year, like how many of these places would even uh, agree to have you sign a lease because you don't make enough money. And so it's good. Uh, whether it's the, the stipend to go off and find your own housing or if it's com- apartment complexes that these teams build, it's a good win, so good job, Owen. Actually, no, I don't want to pat Major League Baseball on the bat for this win because they don't deserve that. But uh, I just reiterate, good, good job on the, uh, these players and for all those people who spoke out, the other reporters like your, your Emily Waldens of the world and such that keeps keep speaking out, advocates for minor leaguers that keep speaking out on these issues, and hopefully more is to come. And I did want to throw in this blurb from the end of Passon's article uh, because it does affect the Orioles that some uh, major league players, even though the MLB Players Association does not uh, necessarily protect minor leaguers, at least the ones that are on the 40-man roster, several major league players took to wearing a wristband distributed by advocates for minor leaguers that included the inscription hashtag fair ball. One of those players was Trey Mancini. Always a great guy on every level. So we'll we'll, uh, look now at the 2021 fall instructional camp roster for the Orioles, which was announced today. Fall instructional camp uh, will take place down at the spring training complex in Sarasota. 
the big themes really here in this case are players who played in the low minor leagues, extending their seasons this year, and then several players who either lost the entire year or a good portion of the year to injury will have a chance to continue their rehab down there. So whether that's you know someone like D.L. Hall or Joey Ortiz and end up losing significant chunks of time, those guys will be down there. Carter Baumler, who was out with Tommy John surgery, will be there. Heston Kerstad, and what was really the best news of this for me, will be there after his as he tries to recover from myocarditis. Um, but then you also have several players from the Dominican Summer League going, um, a lot of players who were in Del Marva late in the year, and then some of the top prospects that were at the higher levels, like Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson, who ended the season in Bowie, and uh, some of the fast-rising pitching prospects are going there as well, looking really from Felix Batista at the top of the minor leagues uh, down to guys like Zach Peake, Gene Pinto, and Brandon Young, as well as Carlos Tavera, 2021 draftee. So this is kind of an interesting mix. And Nick, you mentioned this right before we went on air, that Rock Cabado has tweeted that there will not be games as part of the Instructional League. Yeah, unfortunately, it looks like there's no games, even like backfield games against other teams, like we saw, uh, I think, last year. Uh, after after the alt-site experience, I know a lot of guys ended up in Sarasota and they played some backfield games. And someone, I can't remember off the top of my head now, just remembering this, but we found some videos on YouTube of some of the at-bats and some pitchers getting work in. But it looks like we're probably not going to get that. I know it's close to the media. It's close to the public. Uh, so it looks like it's just it's strictly like instructional camp. Uh, it's education. It's on and off field education as far as uh, baseball goes. And for, like you mentioned, guys like D.L. Hall uh, and others and Joey Ortiz and Elio Prado's on this list. That's great to see as well. Heston Kerstad. It's just about getting these at bats after long layoffs, long injuries, trying to work back. So it, a lot of interesting names on this list. Uh, but I-, I tweeted this out and I legitimately mean this. I would pay a lot of money to watch Felix Batista and Sammy Basayo go up in, in some battles. Uh, so, Eric Garfield, if you're listening and you got some some cameras out there and you want to get that, uh, send, send them my way. Yeah, he's secretly setting up the cameras that are live feeds at a constant stream right now. Now, yeah, like you said, it's not really any games here. It's pure instruction. And a lot of these guys like D.L. Hall and Ortiz, I'm assuming they're basically just rehabbing. But even so, it's still cool to be able to see them healthy enough to do that in that kind of setting. Because you, you notice Taron Vavra's not on there, so he must not be on the rehab stage yet. And it's cool to see the guys from the Dominican team uh, come over stateside for the first time. And it shows who they think the top three guys are. It's Basalo, Michael Hernandez, and Anderson De Los Santos. So great stuff all around. Hopefully we will see the uh, repercussions of this camp next season. Well, and I think that the really important point for the players coming up from the Dominican Summer League is to be around players that have more experience, because that was one of the things that we heard about being such a big advantage for Gunnar Henderson last year and his time at the alternate site, especially, but then again, at fall instructs, it's that exposure to older competition. So, you know, not only would a Felix Batista, Samuel Basayo matchup be entertaining to watch, but it would probably end up being part of the development that benefits Basayo face some older pitching, and really after putting up a good year against teenagers down the Dominican Summer League, this would help him really be prepared next year for the Florida Complex League. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you have Kyle Bronovich on this roster. That's going to be a really good arm for these young kids to face, the 2021 draft picks. And you guys like Kobe Mayo's uh, facing these uh, older arms. Zach Peake, you mentioned, will be a good one too. Garrett Stallings is on this list. 
Adam Stoffer is really interesting. I mentioned that. I think uh, when Bob ran off, I think he grabbed some water or something right before the show, and I mentioned his name. That's an interesting one. And Zach threw out the idea, like, is he Rule 5 eligible, which I think he is, but I, I know that's your guy, Bob. So I wish I knew. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but, yeah, that's an interesting name out there on the list, too. But there are definitely some advanced arms who are healthy that will definitely go a long way in helping some of these younger bats uh, progress. And, and we know we saw the success that this team had at the alt site last year during the pandemic. So this instructional camp roster, I think, is a fantastic roster that will pay off huge dividends down there in Sarasota. Yeah, and a guy like Drew Rahm on the mound, that's pretty cool. And I did notice Ryan Higgins, who was drafted as a third baseman, is listed in the outfielder section. I don't know if that's just, you know, doesn't matter. He can play all over, but interesting, I thought. So I just checked, and Stauffer is indeed Rule 5 eligible, according to fan graphs. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'd be at threat of being taken, but he's got a good arm. I think he'll – hopefully he stays in the organization because I think he'll make a mark in the bullpen in the next few years. I could see him as like a great Fenter type, maybe. A team does take a flyer on him, but he's back in like three weeks once yeah. the spring training gets underway. Yeah, and um, since you brought up Kyle Bronovitz, now Kyle Bronovitz, Kobe Mayo would be a great matchup. How does Mayo go up against that knuckle curveball? I love Bronovich a, a lot. A lot of that. Loved him since college, but uh, Kobe Mayo is my guy. I think Kobe Mayo takes him like 415. I think he crushes every fastball for a home run, and he misses it every knuckle curve. (laughs) Well, Eric Garfield, or really anybody that has the ability to set up cameras around there, uh, you're listening to us now, please find a way to do that so that we have uh, some stuff to talk about over the offseason. As we mentioned, there's not going to be any games, probably be very limited media access, but it will still be interesting to hear what comes out of this, even if it's not right away, because it was after fall instructs last year that we started hearing more about Jordan Westberg, more about Kyle Bradis, uh, more about Joey Ortiz. So th- there's a chance that even if we're not directly hearing things um, over the next few weeks, that between now and really you know spring training or the start of the 2022 minor league season, you're going to hear references to this player looked great in instructs and was working on this. So this will matter to, to some extent. Um, both for trying to get players further along their development and helping them recover from injuries. And I don't don't like overlook those either because, uh, you know, team talk, obviously they're going to push their agenda, but like we heard everything from Kyle Bradish and Joey Ortiz last year and Kyle Bradish, like really impressed early on and closed out the year really strong. I think he lived up to the hype and Joey Ortiz lived up to every single bit of that hype uh, before an unfortunate injury. So I'm definitely going to be on the lookout to see who who you know Steve Molesky's article of the top three players at instructional camp that showed out. Like I'm paying attention to that because they're they're not going to sugarcoat it. I don't think and they're not going to feed you. You know, Trent and Craig looked really great out there. Like they're going to be completely honest with guys on who are going to make a big impact in 2022. They'll at least be quiet on the guys that didn't impress, and they'll shout out the guys that did. And do we know exactly when this ends? Because maybe that's when we should line up another Matt Blood interview. <laughs> I think it was like sometime in November, a couple of weeks at least. So, Well, we have the full list over on our Twitter account, at BSL on the Verge, if you want to see the entire roster. But we've given you a rundown there of some of the players uh, that are going to be there, as well as some of the trends that are taking place with the roster. So we'll move on now to what is going to be one of the big topics of the offseason, which is the players who are arbitration eligible and how that's going to affect the Orioles' payroll. Now, Last year, when we were a minor league podcast that had to spend a lot of time talking about the major league team, 
we did an episode, actually a couple of episodes, on arbitration eligibility. And we're going to do the same thing this offseason, but one of the things we're going to try to do now that we've had a full minor league season is sort of show you where some of these players or where some of the decisions on arbitration eligible players could end up affecting prospects. And um, this is coming out as MLB Trade Rumors releases its annual salary projections of arbitration eligible players. Matt Swartz at ML- has created a model that MLB Trade Rumors has been running now for 11 years. And if you read coverage around the game on players who are arbitration eligible, and you see a salary projected next to it, chances are it came from MLB trade rumors. This model has sort of become the standard around the industry, especially at this time of the year when you're trying to figure out how teams are going to make their you know decisions based on payroll, financial flexibility, what they're willing to spend uh, for the coming season. So just as an example of where you have an arbitration-eligible player that right now has a spot that's likely to be occupied by a top prospect, Pedro Severino is projected to earn $3.1 million uh, by MLB trade rumors next season, which is also widely expected to be Adley Rutzman's debut. That would seem, especially given that Severino's uneven performance in 2021, to suggest that he is a non-tender candidate. But I'm anxious to hear your guys' thoughts on this, and I'll start with Nick. Bye. (laughs) If Pedro Severino gets $3.1 million from this team... I'm pulling out my old catcher's glove and I'm training every single day and I'm trying out somewhere like he does not need to be back in this organization. If you want to see improvements from your pitching prospects and young arms who are going to be in the major leagues next year. And I love Severino last year. And I thought this was, you know, the defensive first catcher that the Orioles brought in. And when he showed out offensively, like I loved it. I thought it was a great story. Uh, I love just the, the attitude. I love the charisma out there in the field from him. Uh, even this guy gets pounded. I don't know how he doesn't have like eight concussions since he joined the Orioles, uh, but he never misses a game. He gets right back, uh, back up there behind the plate and continues to go. But uh, the play is just not up to standard. So $3.1 million, I think can get you a pretty good backup catcher. I'm sure we'll talk about some of those later on the show. Um, 3.1 million can get you a couple good backup catchers. Um, and so, yeah, he can, he can be a non-tender candidate. Yeah, it seems like a fun guy to be around in the clubhouse, but not exactly doing the pitchers many favors. And yeah, $3.1 million, that's a lot of money for a guy that can barely catch and his bat is disappointed of late. So definite non-tender for me. Well, and you know, there's been a lot of criticisms aimed at Severino's defense the last couple of years. And there are a lot of advanced metrics that you can look up out there that relate to catching that back that up. But I will put this one out there. In the short in 2020 season, then again in 2021, Severino led the American League in pass balls. Five in 2020, 10 in 2021. Um, So that's one kind of traditional metric that goes along with everything else that you hear that's more in the advanced realm of defensive statistics, which is that Severino has struggled defensively behind the plate. And I'll go to uh, Vivek's question here, which is, does Seve have trade value? given his average bat and exit velo numbers? I don't think so. Not at that price. If it was a little bit less, maybe. But I bet he'll definitely sign on somewhere when, once he's non-tendered and he can sign for any price. But I don't think he has any trade value, honestly. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, if he kept up the offensive performance that he had from 2020, if he kept that going into 2021, maybe. 
And like you mentioned the past balls, and I could see the the argument where someone could say, well, look at what the Orioles had pitching-wise, uh, but that's still an extreme number. Uh, and I still think that even with that pitching staff, the Orioles rolled out, you could have done a better job behind the plate. And I realize that I'm saying this from my couch and having played catcher one year when I was 11 years old, but still, <laughs> like, that's... I don't see him having much trade value. Just like a DJ Stewart, I place him in that same category. Like, not a lot of trade value, maybe a flyer, a 16-year-old flyer from the Dominican, which I would do in a heartbeat. Yeah, and I think he was also behind the plate for like 66 wild pitches. So obviously those don't count against him, but sometimes a wild pitch can really be the catcher's fault. So. Yeah, it's exactly right. 66 wild pitches um, when Severino was back there this year. Yeah, I, I don't see the Orioles tendering him a contract just because they have Rutzman so close to the major leagues. I think the only way that you would bring Severino back at that price was if there was something happened, and I'm not wishing for this. Please do not think I'm wishing for this. If something happened where we weren't going to see Adley Rutzman until the All-Star break, and you wanted to boost Severino's trade value a little bit by having him hit in the lineup every day and then flip him before Adley gets there. But that's not going to happen. That's a very admittedly far-fetched scenario. So we'll, um, looking at the rest of this list, just running down some of the names that are arbitration eligible this offseason, aside from Severino, Trey Mancini, Anthony Santander, Jorge Lopez, Paul Fry, Tanner Scott, John Means. John Means is a virtual lock. Uh, you don't have to worry about that. And I'll be curious to hear what you guys say in our predictions later on, but I don't expect Means to go anywhere this offseason. Um, but it's a little bit different story for Anthony Santander and Trey Mancini because both players have been attached to trade speculation for so long. And as we've discussed several times um, in the last few months, Santander could very well have been a trade candidate if not for the injuries that he dealt with in 2021. Uh, I'll just start with Nick or Bob on this one. Mancini and Santander. Mancini's projected to earn $7.9 million by MLB trade rumors. Santander at $3.7 million. Do you think it's a foregone conclusion that both players are offered contracts? But even if they are, do you think that there's a possibility one of them's moved this offseason? This is the Orioles, so I can't say 100% that they will be offered a contract. But I'd say 95% chance, yeah. I think they'll be tendered. Uh, it's up to be, up to debate what uh, happens after that. They could easily be traded or signed to an extension maybe that saves a little bit of money. I doubt that, but I definitely think they're trade candidates. But, yeah, I do think they will be tendered contracts for 2022. Yeah, Mancini, I think for sure. Like, if you're not going to pay Trey Mancini $8 million, then I mean, we might as well anticipate Bartolo Colon and like Tim Lincecum being the starting pitching candidates that come in this offseason. Like you have to give Trey Mancini $8 million. Uh, Santander, that's a much tougher question. Um, I mean, he's been in the major leagues for five years. He can't get on base. He can't stay on the field and stay healthy for uh, long stretches of time. You have outfielders like Cal Stowers, Robert Newstrom pushing for playing time. And I think how much was he projected to get? 3.7 million. 3.7. I feel like his production, I mean, he's putting up like Hanser Alberto and Renato Nunez level, like wins above replacement values. If you want to bring in another outfielder and wait on Newstrom and Kyle Stowers for a couple of months, that's fine. I, I'm all for that. But you can probably find someone who can put up 
equal production or maybe even a little bit better production compared to Santander for less than $3 million, in my opinion. Yeah, I just think $3.7 million, it's not that much. And even if he's only just like around league average with the bet, or maybe even a little bit less, I think it's enough to at least warrant giving him a shot to rebuild some trade value. Maybe he starts off hot uh, next season, and then you trade him, or you just tender him, and then you trade him a month from now. That's kind of where I fall with Santander, too, because I think that, you know, if you got rid of him now, you would sort of be selling low, and I think that even holds true if you don't tender him a contract. Do I think that by July he's going to be the best option for the Orioles in right field? No. I think that it won't, it's only going to take a couple months for Kyle Stowers to catch up to him next year. But you do have an opportunity to bring him back healthy and to boost his trade value a little bit. And just going over some numbers this past season, and I'm looking off of baseball references, version of war, had him at point two, 92 OPS plus, 720 OPS. None of those numbers are great. Um the one thing that I found odd was that he didn't seem healthy for most of the season. Then over the month of August, he looks like one of the best hitters in the American League. 309, eight homers, 967 OPS, and then cooled off again in September. Um, so I don't know if there, you know, I know he had some injury issues again in September. So was August the only month he was healthy? Was that a statistical fluke? I don't really know what to make of it, but over the month of August, I was watching Santander and I thought if he goes out and produces at about, you know, a third, two thirds of this production over the month of September, the Orioles can easily trade him this offseason. They can say, see, he was finally healthy the last two months of the year and look how well he hit. But then he didn't repeat that in September. Yeah, exactly. I think that was a case of every player has a hot streak and a cold streak at some point, And his was happened to be in August. I think at this point, you can just assume he's right around a league average hitter not going to walk he can hit for some power if he's healthy he can play a solid outfield corner outfield but once he starts getting expensive it's going to be hard to move him so i think you got to do it now if you're going to do it yeah i i just don't have any hope for him i can't get excited about santander anymore like hayes i went into the season still excited about in the potential like if he stays healthy but santander i just feel like it's been the same conversation for like four years now and i've reached the point where Focusing so much on the minor league game this year and just detaching myself from the major league roster, I feel like I've been able to maybe too much in some areas, like detach myself emotionally so much from these guys that it's just like if Santander goes, like that's fine. And I think the roster is improved in six months from now. But if you do want to bring him back and see if he does regain some trade value, I'm fine with that as well. But I'm just not banking on it too much personally. So, uh, Vivek times in again. Valeka has to be gone given Mateo and Rias group and Richie Martin. Um, I would hope that the Orioles go into the season with more infield depth than Martin, Rias, um, Demai Jones, Jorge Mateo. But yeah, I think Pat Valeka projected to make 1.3 million through arbitration is a non tender candidate. I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. <laughs> I mean, 1.3 million. Pat Valenka, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's highway robbery. The only other name for me, like looking at this list, I mean, you said John Means, easy choice, like $3 million for John Means, that's a steal. No second thoughts there. Um, Mancini and Santander kind of touched on. Lopez, I'm fine with giving him, was like just under $2 million um, projected arbitration. Numbers. I'm fine with giving him that as long as you keep him in the bullpen. Uh, I think that could be, I want to see what he does out of the bullpen over a full season 
And I know this year, obviously, outside of baseball, he had a lot going on. So obviously that probably had some impact. The one that I'm – Tanner Scott as well, looking at this. Tanner Scott, I think a million bucks, sure, bring him back. Even though I think he should have been traded at last year's deadline. No issues giving him a million dollars. The one that I've seen mixed reaction on, like on social media, is Paul Fry, though. I don't know what you guys think about Paul Fry tendering him a contract. I'm going to go oh, – oh, oh, go ahead, Zach. I'm sorry. This has been on my mind for a while, and I'm not really speaking my own personal evaluation. I'm just trying to look inside the minds of the Orioles a little bit. Within a few weeks, Paul Fry went from being a trade candidate to being opted in Norfolk. He really struggled um, over the summer. There's no question about that. But I have to question, was there any interest in Paul Fry at the trade deadline? Because if there was, why didn't you leave him up in the major leagues to try to work through these issues? Um, you know, because if nothing else, it's got to look better to other teams to think, well, you know, at least Paul Fry pitched in the major leagues all of last year. They opted him to Norfolk, and he struggled down there. So I, I don't know what to make of that. And in looking at that, I kind of feel like at $1.1 million, the Orioles are probably going to non-tender him. Look for some you know, lower-end major league free agent deals salary-wise and some minor league free agents to fill that gap in the bullpen. But it's also entirely possible they just decide that because the starting pitching was so bad this year and starters weren't going deep enough in the games, that Fry was simply worn out by mid-June. You know, mid-June, early July, Fry was worn out by then, and he couldn't get back on track because of the workload. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm really torn on that thought. I, my gut feeling right now is that he's probably non-tendered, but I also wouldn't be shocked if he's back. Yeah, maybe Fry would have, was fried uh, late in the season. Now, I, I think it'll be telling what the Orioles do with him, especially. $1.1 million is not a lot. So I think if they think he can bounce back, he'll obviously be tendered a contract. But if he's non-tendered, that means to me that they think he was pretty reliant on sticky stuff and they don't think he's going to be able to regain that form that he had in the beginning of the year going forward. Uh, Tanner Scott, definite tender. $1 million is nothing for him. He's he's walks a lot of guys, but when he's on, he's pretty good. Jorge Lopez is definitely interesting. One and a half million. To me, I would definitely tender him and put him in a one-inning role out of the bullpen, let him ramp it up to upper 90s. But I wouldn't be surprised if he was not non-tendered, but signed for a contract closer to a million dollars. I think I think they might think one and a half million dollars is a little too expensive for him, but we'll see. Yeah. It's interesting thoughts about Fry for sure. I mean, he, watching him in Norfolk, it was not pretty. Nine walks and eight innings, an ERA of almost eight, and he's almost thirty. He'll turn thirty next season, so I I don't see the Orioles bringing him back. And maybe there was talks about. I feel like it was always grouped together, Paul Fry and Tanner Scott, when you talked about the trade deadline stuff. And I feel like all that potential trade interest was in Tanner Scott and not Paul Fry. And so maybe that's why they said, let's just try to f- send you down to AAA and you can figure it out there. But a million dollars for a thirty-year-old reliever who couldn't figure it out in AAA. I'm fine looking elsewhere. Yeah, Fry was optioned on August 30th. So about a month after the trade deadline, he sent down. And I, I just, when that happened, I just remember thinking to myself, if you were remotely close on a trade with him just a few weeks ago, why isn't he finishing the year in the major leagues? Yeah, the fact that he never came back up with expanded rosters and the pitching problems that the Orioles had even barely finishing the season, getting enough innings. Yeah, that's pretty telling that he never made it back. 
So that is the class of the players that are arbitration eligible this offseason. Uh, obviously, we have a long way to go between now and when some big decisions are made for the 2022 season. So I'm sure we're going to rehash some of these play- discussions on some of these players. Uh, but that just kind of gives you a sense of what the Orioles are up against as far as arbitration eligibility, why they might make certain decisions, and uh, how some prospects could be affected by that, namely whether or not they clear a roster spot of catcher early on uh, with the expectation that Adley Rutzman will be in the major leagues at some point early in the 2022 season. So we'll move now on to our predictions, which um, if you're a regular listener of On the Verge, you know we do these every few months. We have off-season predictions, spring training predictions, regular season predictions, mid-season predictions. And most of the time it's Orioles prospect-related maybe some general baseball stuff thrown in. As usual, we wrote our predictions out in advance, but did not tell each other what we're going to predict. Uh, but you may also hear some random predictions um, along the way that we just came up with the spur of the moment. And if you're watching us on live stream right now, and you've got a prediction that you think we should take, uh, go ahead and post it in the chat. And if we don't get to it before the end of our list, we'll take it at the end. Uh, But before we get into our predictions, we always like to recap what we got right and what we mostly got wrong the last time we did predictions. And Bob went back and listened to our mid-season predictions episode when we were joined by Locked On Orioles host Connor Newcomb. And Bob's going to go through those results for us now. Yeah, absolutely. That was an enjoyable listen. This show is pretty good when you listen back to it. But uh, at first, let's talk about our preseason predictions because there were a couple that we have to check back in on and especially the first one, because I nailed it hundred percent is the home run leader. I had Mountcastle leading with 33 home runs. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, Zach just missed. He had Mountcastle with 32 and Nick had Mountcastle with 29. So we were all pretty much spot on the money there. MVO, me and Nick said Austin Hayes would be the most valuable Oriole. And Zach said Trey Mancini, obviously Cedric Mullins was the answer there. And we still have world series predictions from before the season started that are, Live and well, at least everyone but mine. I said Padres over Yankees, which, <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Nick said Braves over Rays. Braves up 2 nothing on the Dodgers, and the Dodgers are who Zach had over the Twins. So you guys could still have your champions. Yeah, that's why I did that heavy sigh a moment ago. I just had to be reminded of that. <laughs> I picked the Twins. <laughs> I'm not even rooting for the Braves anymore. <laughs> yeah, here I am. I guess I am now. Go for it. Keep winning. Yeah, they're not as fun without Acuna, to be honest. uh, Exactly right. Mid-season. All right, we're called up to our episode with Connor. I'll give his answers in here, too, so he can be just as embarrassed as us. We had some non-40-man roster call-up predictions, and Connor said Dustin Knight would get the call-up. He was correct on that. Nick said Brett Cumberland. That must have been before Cumberland fell off a cliff. (laughs) Zach said Dustin Knight and Brett Cumberland, so... We can see the theme here. I said Dustin Knight, Manny Barreta, Marcos Duplan, Eric Canhold, Brett Cumberland, and Zach Jarrett. So I had the pitchers right, at least. I knew we would need a lot of <laughs> scraps. Next was, will Mike Bauman make his Major League debut? Nick, Connor, and Zach said no. Zach said better chance of Kyle Bradish or Kevin Smith. I said yes, end of September, out of the bullpen. Again, feel pretty good about the rare <laughs> that I feel good about predictions, but this is one of those times. Most surprising major league debut, Nick and Zach both said Robert Newstrom. Pretty close. I mean, he will probably be early next year. 
Connor said Mason McCoy. He noted that it was not due to his positive play, but just because desperation up the middle of the infield. And I said, use Neil Diaz. Enough said. Grayson Rodriguez or Jordan Westberg? Will they get another promotion? This is when Grayson was in double A and Jordan Westbrook was in high A Aberdeen. Uh, everybody said no to Grayson except for Connor. He said he would get a couple cups of coffee in AAA. And we all said yes on Jordan Westbrook except for me. I said no, even though I was close to changing my mind by the end. This is when I was still stuck in Elias doesn't promote people. Uh, he's very conservative, and I think we can all officially say that that is no longer the case. Next, we have who will have the most starts at second base for the Orioles in September. Me and Nick said Jemiah Jones, which was correct, but it was way closer than it had any right to be. And Zach and Connor said Ramon Urias. The actual results were Jemiah Jones had 13 starts at second base. Pat Vileka had 12 starts at second base. And Ramon Urias had five. That's a Kobe list. Mayo, will he get pro- <laughs> Yeah, it is. <laughs> Kobe Mayo, will he get promoted from the FCL? Unanimous, no way, not going to happen. Well, <laughs> turns out he did. He demolished Delmarva, and he'll start at Aberdeen next year. This is kind of relevant. Who will go to the Arizona Fall League? There's a lot of names here. Uh, I'll read them really fast. I said D.L. Hall, Anthony Servideo, Taron Vavra, Yusniel Diaz, Nick Vespi, Cameron Bishop, and Adam Hall. I was shocked to hear myself say Yusniel Diaz because I was surprised when they announced that. But... It must have been when he was still hurt, and I thought it would be because he needed the at-bats, not because he was fighting for his life. Zach said, Taron Vavra, Anthony Servideo, Kyle Stowers, ding, 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 Caden Grenier, Kyle Bronovich, Maverick Hanley, and Jordan Westberg. Connor said, Westberg or Joey Ortiz, Taron Vavra, D.L. Hall, Adam Hall, Kyle Stowers, and Robert Newstrom. And Nick Early said, too, he cheated the, the game and said, Cameron Bishop and Lamar Sparks. So he probably had the best percentage of people that were <laughs> correct. Does Tanner Scott record a save? Me and Zach said yes. Spoiler alert, he did not. Nick said no because he will be traded at the deadline, and Connor said no flat out. So good for you. And we predicted the twenty the 2022 starting rotation. Connor said John Means, uh, Bruce Zimmerman, a free agent in a third spot, Alexander Wells, Kyle Bradish, and Wade LeBlanc. I think he was kidding about that last one, but you never know. Nick said, Means, Zimmerman, Alex Wells, free agent, and Tyler Wells going to move to the rotation. I'm not so sure about that after he was so dominant out of the bullpen. Zach said, Means, Zimmerman, Alexander Wells, Spencer Watkins, free agent, free agent, and one of Kramer, Bauman, Smith. So he has seven-man rotation. And I had Means, Zimmerman, free agent, Alexander Wells, and then one of Michael Bauman or Kyle Bradish. Most impressive 2021 draftee to end the year. We all had different answers, and we were probably all right. Actually, I was the most wrong. I had said John Rhodes. He was okay, but definitely not super impressive. Connor said Dante Williams. Zach said Colton Kowser. And Nick said Connor Norby. So pretty good. Which prospect will fall off the radar by season's end? I said Ryland Bannon. Nick said Yusniel Diaz. Zach said Yusniel Diaz. Connor said Yusniel Diaz. And Isaac Madsen. We were all pretty pretty good on that. Future Closer Award. Zach had Zach Peak. Just going with the guy with the same name as him. I appreciate that. Nick said Nick Vespi. Just going with the guy who had the same name as him. I appreciate that. <laughs> I said Bob Peralta. I mean, Ophelki Peralta. And Connor said Michael Bauman. 
And lastly, which prospect will gain the most traction or shoot up our rankings the most? By season's end, I said Garrett Stallings. Zach said Gene Pinto. Connor said Hudson Haskin. And Nick said Kyle Bronovich. So Gene Pinto, that's the winner. Zach, right there. Yeah, I mean, all four of those guys did move up a little bit. Um, I am going to throw one more, a few more prediction results out very quickly here, which is we did over-unders in the preseason, and these were based off of Fangraph's uh, projections, and Nick read them off for us. Trey Mancini, um, over or under 25 home runs, we all took the over. Looked like it was going to be. Yeah, it was close. Anthony Santander, 29 home runs. I took the over. Nick and Bob took the under. And Nick was the one who pointed out that Santander is yet to play a full season. So Very I think he, like, he definitely tacked on the correct answer there. Ryan Malcastle, 26 walks. We all said over. We were all correct. One he had – hold on. I just want to say <laughs> yeah. he had 41. So, I mean, that's really ridiculous over-under for them, yeah. even as a guy who doesn't really walk. So over-under, one player with two F4. Um, we all said over, and Bob said four and got really close. It ended up being three. Cedric Mullins at 5.3, followed by John Means at 2.5, and, and Austin Hayes at 2.4. You'll so never Bob, guess who was number four and point one away from giving me <laughs> the correct answer. Matt Harvey, 1.9. So That's John... Right. John had, Means. Oh, go ahead, Nick. I was saying I had John Means. If I was to guess one, my guy was probably John Means. If I were to go back and remember. So speaking of John Means, four point nine ERA was what Means was projected with preseason. We all took the under. And we were all correct. Dean Kramer. Are we all had over 0.5 F four? That was for mm-hmm. AAA Norfolk, right? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Keegan Aiken, five ERA. Bob and I had the under. Nick had the over. So Nick wins that one. Matt Harvey, 18 starts. Nick and I took the under. Bob took the over, but then tacked Winner. on the oh, prediction shoot. that the Orioles would trade Matt Harvey so his eight, 18 starts would actually be accumulated somewhere else in addition to his starts in Baltimore. So not 18 starts as an Oriole. I'm counting so as a win. Yeah, if not for the clarification, Bob would have won that one outright. He ended up with 28 starts. Yeah, when you're doing predictions, say less. <laughs> exactly. 24 more starts than I anticipated Matt Harvey making <laughs> on his roster. So, yes. yeah. Good he job, Matt. 28. Yeah. Well, I also predicted back in spring training wouldn't be on the opening day roster. So, it was exactly 28 more starts than I had back in February. So, Cesar Valdez, remember him? Cesar Valdez and Tanner Scott. Uh, over under six saves. Uh, Nick and I took the over for both pitchers. Bob took the over for Tanner Scott, but the under for Valdez. And the actual result is that Sierra Valdez comes in with eight saves, Tanner Scott zero. Shocking. Yeah. Shocking turn of events. And now that we've had that recap, God, what a time capsule. Um, <laughs> now that we've had that recap, we'll jump into our off-season predictions. Uh, we've got our prompts ready, and then Bob will take the first one. Yeah. Um, will Trey Mancini be traded? That is a question we've been asking ourselves for a little bit now. So is this the time going into his final year under contract, potentially, <clears throat> as long as he's tendered? Let's go to Nick first. Oh, man. So, I mean, I've said previously that 
the Orioles aren't in a position where they need to dump major league talent like Trey Mancini for minor league depth anymore. And I just feel like as much as I love Trey, I feel like the headliner in a Trey Mancini deal would be like a Garrett Stallings level pitcher or a Jemai Jones level hitter. And I don't think we need that in this organization. You can always add more guys like that, but like trading Trey Mancini for a guy like that, I, I don't see that happening. I don't want to see that happen. Um, so I think I've settled on my final position here that I I think he sticks around. Uh, but if let's play the game and say he is traded, which I think is a definite possibility, um, I I keep getting drawn to these NL Central teams. Like Milwaukee needs some offense that's not Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, and right now they have Rowdy Telez and Daniel Vogelbach at like first base DH options. And I'm assu- I assume this throughout this whole exercise that like NL has a DH next season. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And that's why I think I'm so drawn to these NL central teams because so many of them are in a position to like compete uh, next year, except for the pirates. So uh, any of those, but Milwaukee really sticks out. And I mean, maybe Baltimore Orioles West, the San Diego Padres, like I- I've in Padres shows that I listen to, it seems like Eric Hosmer is more than just like a guy who refuses to change his, his batting philosophy and his hitting approach. And there's a lot more to that behind the scenes. And if it's financially possible, they will definitely need to move on from Eric Hosmer this offseason. And so I feel like the Padres, like Manny and Trey out West, like I, I'd hate to see Trey go, but like I'm I'm watching San Diego Padres every single night if that happens. Um, so, yeah. I guess my definite answer would be like Brewers. Why not? I, I felt a lot about this question. We've talked about it a lot. And ultimately, I think that he will be on the opening day roster next year. I think Nick kind of hits a nail on the head with where the ceiling is for a trade at this point. I think it would be a little bit better version of the Jose Iglesias trade last year, um, which is a good trade, but not one that's going to dramatically alter the course of this rebuild. So I feel like that Mancini is going to end up back, uh, at least for the start of next year. All right. Since when did Michael Elias care what the fans think about a trade and whether it was fair or not? Get the pitchforks out because he's going to get traded, and it's going to be for a return that nobody is going to appreciate, that's for sure. I think $8 million is a lot of money for a 30-year-old first baseman. I just I can't see them being willing to pay that and keep him on the roster all year. So I put together a couple options for a trade. One was to the Detroit Tigers, who seem like they're kind of going on the other side of their rebuild here. I have us getting Ryan Creedler, a shortstop third base prospect. He's kind of like a walks and home runs guy. Maybe he could be an option at third base for us next year. And a Tanner Colehep, who is a tall right-handed pitcher who gets ground balls and low exit velocity. So seems like an Elias guy. These guys are like, in the teens of the Tigers' top 30 drafts uh, prospects. And the other option was for the Mets. I had us getting Jalen Palmer, who's a versatile infielder, can play all over. He's 21 in high A, and he's had a pretty good season last year, as well as Junior Santos, another ground ball, right-handed pitcher, 20 years old in low A. Had some bad luck with home runs in 2021, but both seem like guys that Elias would be interested in if he and when Trey Mancini is traded. Yeah, fair. I, I think... I, I think I, I agree with Zach that he will be on the roster next year. And I tried to take my heart out of this when I say that, um, but I, I don't think I can fully. Um, so yeah, $8 million though for like Bob mentioned for the 30 year first baseman is kind of rough, but the Orioles fans need something. We need something. Uh, so I hope he's around next year. Um, the next guy is Anthony Santander. Will he be traded 
And if so, where? Um, I'm going to say this. I don't know why another team would offer up many like prospects in return for Santander, but I'm just going to say like the Pirates. I don't know. What so Nick's uh, frozen there for a second, but yeah, just jump in here on Santander. I'm going to say that he's not dealt, although I'm going to throw out a, one possible wild card, which is the Marlins. Uh, they were linked to him last offseason. They're reportedly going to be in the market for some offense this year, but we also know it's the Marlins. They're probably not going to be at the top free agent class. So you look at an organization that has a lot of pitching depth. I think that if there is a trade partner for Santander, it's Miami. But ultimately, I think he needs to come back, build up his value a little bit. That allows the Orioles to bide their time a little bit longer with Kyle Stowers. So I think Santander is uh, on the opening day roster next year and is not traded in the offseason. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think he will be tenor to contract and be the starting right fielder until maybe May or June. He'll get traded then. But just say if he was traded, I also had the Miami Marlins as the option there. Although I did see a something on Twitter that said the Cleveland uh, Guardians are going to be looking for an offensive outfielder, and maybe he has a reuni- reunion in Cleveland. But I said he will be traded to the Marlins for either Nick Neidert or Braxton Garrett, who are kind of guys who got a taste in the major leagues this year and had some good numbers at AAA for them as well. They're like their 12th and 13th ranked prospects. And I said we'd also get another low-level guy and an international prospect as well thrown in there. So you think Santander is traded? I don't, at least not in the offseason. But if he was, it's definitely the Marlins. (laughs) All right, so Nick is back on. I want to hear the rest of his Santander to the Pirates take, and then we'll move on. I don't know what you guys heard or not. I don't know. I don't think he does get traded, so that's why I just said, like, the Pirates of the Rockies seem like they're really bad at making trades, so if he is traded, why not one of those organizations? But I don't think he is traded. Okay, so we clean sweep there. We don't think Santander is traded in the offseason. I'll move on to this, which it's going to be a first that we've ever talked about a hypothetical deal like this. Will a BSL top 50 Baltimore sports in life, where we do our rankings, will a Baltimore sports in life top 50 prospects be traded this off season? And if so, who? Um, I said, I'm saying yes. And I'm sticking with what I said last weekend using the ideas and uh, shout out to David Adams. I think it was who reminded me in the Patreon in our Patreon WhatsApp group, uh, that there is some discussion about in Eric Long and Hagen's book, Future Value, that teams have been known to send prospects out to the Arizona Fall League to dangle them out as trade pieces. And I said last week that I think that could be what Michael Elias is doing here. And what do you know, Diaz is very hot to start the year, reached base, what, four times in that first game, hit a home run in the second game. I think they play tonight at like 9.30 Eastern time. We'll see if he keeps that hot streak up. I just think that, you know, Diaz is used to kind of sweeten the pot. If you do trade a Santander or Mancini and you can add Usnil Diaz to that package, you're going to get a better return. Um, so I, I'm going to say Usnil Diaz. And I wouldn't be mad if Adam Hall is also traded as part of some package either. Very interesting. I said yes as well, which is kind of, it's also going to spoil the next question that I had, which was, or will there be any surprising trades? And I think the Orioles trading prospects to buy a player would be pretty surprising. So I have us trading Zach Lothar, Adam Hall, and Yusnel Diaz to the Oakland Athletics for Sean Manaya, starting rotation option. The A's have a lot of arbitration-eligible guys. You know they are cheap, almost as cheap as the Rays, and 
that might not be enough to get him, but this is a uh, this is what fans do, right? <laughs> you always do what's going to favor your team the most. So yeah, I do think that we will trade at least one, if not what I said, then just a guy who needs a change of scenery, maybe a prospect for prospect challenge trade. I'm going to go no, um, but I do think that if one is traded, it's in a scenario that Nick mentioned where you're trying to get a little bit more out of that trade for Anthony Santander or Trey Mancini. So you throw a Neal Diaz or an Adam Hall in there. And I thought about this a lot uh, before we went on the air, and I just ended up settling on no, that I don't think we're going to see a top 50 prospect dealt this offseason. What if, what if we're talking about dangling prospects out? What if this is why Kyle Stowers was sent to Arizona and the team does like Santander enough to wait it out for Kerstad and Kowser and others and Stowers is the trade bait being dangled out. That's that's definitely a thought. <laughs> we better be getting something good back. That's yeah. all I'm saying. I hope not, but that thought just crossed my mind, and now I'm now I'm scared. <laughs> I don't think so, but yeah, that's you know not impossible. So I guess I will transition into my question of will there be any surprise trades? And like I said. The surprise trade equals, you know, Orioles buying somebody with prospect capital or selling a guy like John Means or Cedric Mullins, which they shouldn't do. What do you guys think? Uh, let's go with Zach first. Well, I guess in that respect, my answer is probably no, because I was going to say that I think Cole Salser has traded this offseason. Uh, but that's really not that surprising from the position that the Orioles are in, I guess. So, no, but um, that's just a random name that I'll throw out there. Yeah, I'm going to say no as well. I think if Mancini's traded, that won't be a surprise. Uh, if you trade John Means, like you're not going to have any major league arms. And I think Cedric Mullins, like the price tag is just going to be way too high. And I love what Mullins did, but like as another organization, is that a smart business move to trade that high price tag for meet that high price tag for a guy like Mullins after just one season of production? Probably not. Um, but I don't see any big surprises. Unless it is that Kyle Stowers deal that I just mentioned that I need to get out of my head now. I'm sorry I brought that up. Yeah. I already said yes because I'm saying Orioles are going to trade for one of the Oakland A's starting pitchers. But as far as Mullins, it means there's no way. I think it's more likely that John Means is extended before he's traded. And Mullins, he's pre-arbitration. I don't think Elias is going to trade anybody that's pre-arb. I think you got to wait till that first arb one year before you start thinking about what Mike Elias is going to do. So. The next question here is, will a current Oriole or Orioles prospect receive a contract extension over the offseason? Um, we'll go Zach first. I'm going to say that it won't happen in the offseason because the CBA negotiations slowed down everything else this offseason. So that pushes any contract extensions into spring training. Now, I am willing to heads a little bit here and say that I could see an extension or two in spring training but I don't think we'll see one between now and when pitchers and catchers report. Yeah, I pretty much agree wholeheartedly with that. I said no, but if John Means comes in looking really healthy and good in spring training, then maybe they sign him to a four- or five-year extension at that point, but that is not the offseason, so no. Yeah, as in maybe Mancini, but other than that, no. Um, I, I do agree that it's – I feel like even just going on – like making predictions like we're doing is kind of tough because we have no idea what that CBA is going to look like or, or if we're going to have a start to the season next year. So it is really tough to t think about roster construction going into next season. But yeah, I don't see the Orioles making any super big moves. If Vivek says 10 year deal for Adley Rutschman, 
I would love that. And I think it would be smart. I love that teams like the Rays go after Brandon Lau. Shout out to Brandon Lau, uh, former neighbor of mine. Uh, I love that he got that money. Uh, but I love that Fernando Tatis Jr. got that money from the Padres and those young prospects getting big contracts. And I wish the Orioles would do that for Adley. But this offseason with the CBA stuff, I don't see that happening. So speaking of CBA stuff, that transitions to our next question. Will service time manipulation be eliminated or curtailed by a new CBA, or will the current process stay in place? And I'll start with Bob on this one. I'm an optimist, so I'm going to say, yes, it will be eliminated. I think this has to be like almost the number one issue right now. Maybe not for the major leaguers that it doesn't matter anymore. So hopefully they're looking out for the young guys that are coming up behind them and this will be dealt with. I just think it's better for everyone involved. I think it's better for the players, obviously, and it's better for baseball in general. So, yes. Yeah. I would like to say yes, but the opposite of being that super optimistic that Bob is, my first thought was like that announcement of guaranteed housing starting in 2022. Is that the hopefully what would be like the first, like that's the first big victory. And then do we see some maybe smaller victories for minor leaguers over the next month or so? And then when they get to the negotiation table, they're going to say like, look, we gave minor leaguers all these great perks. Their lives are going to be so much improved starting next year. Um, So teams are going to get to keep that service time manipulation, that extra year of control, if you will. I wonder if that would be the case. That's kind of dark thinking, I think, on my end. But I hope that that's gone and teams will have every – it's going to a system will be in place where teams say Adley Rushman is ready in on opening day last year or this past season, you bring him up and there's no financial barriers to worry about there. But I just, I don't know if I see that changing. Yeah. Being cynical is never a bad idea when you're talking about major league baseball. Yeah. I started to kind of go in Nick's direction a little bit, but I, I have a hard time envisioning that this isn't changed in some way, shape or form. Um, Unless we realize, unless there are larger issues in play that we don't realize right now, I do think that there's going to be a solution that ends up not satisfying everybody because that's just the nature of this. And I don't know that you're necessarily going to see something that, you know, brings all results in every top prospect in the game that's majorly ready starting the year in the majors next year. But I just can't imagine the status quo stays in place. Oh, that's me. I'm next. All right. So. Which Orioles prospects will appear in major outlets top 100 list over the offseason? Let's go with Nick first. Uh, I said Adley Grayson, Deal Hall, Colton Kowser, and Gunnar Henderson. I think that's probably all we're going to see. I don't think you see Westberg in like an offseason update or like a February or January preseason update. Um, maybe with some promotions as the season starts, you see Westberg creep in. But thinking just like Baseball America, I think it's pretty obvious that Baseball America is not going to include him in their top 100 to begin the year after a conversation with Kyle Glazer. Uh, and then Kobe Mayo, I think I think Mayo and Westbrook definitely deserve it. But I think Mayo, because he's so young, it probably takes a little while for other outlets. I know MLB Pipeline doesn't really like to go after the young kids on their top 100 list. Uh, so Westbrook by the end of the season, for sure. Mayo, possibly. But to begin the year, I think it's just those one, two, three, four, five that I have. Yeah, I agree. The top five off of our current list, and I think the top five for most lists on the Orioles. So Rutzman, Rodriguez, Hall, Henderson, Kowser. Um, you know, I don't actually. I don't think Baseball America has Kowser in its top one hundred right now. So they're haters. We'll, 
it remains to be seen if he gets there, but he'll still appear on enough lists this offseason for that to be a correct answer. Yeah, so I, I think the major outlets are what? ESPN, Fangraphs, Baseball America, and what was the other one? MLB Pipeline, maybe Baseball Prospectus. So five major outlets. I said we'll get the big five on pretty much all of them except Baseball America with Kowser. And I think you'll see Jordan Westberg pop up on one or two of them at the very back end and maybe a Kobe Mayo in like one of them at number 99. Just give some love to some more guys. I mean, baseball perspectives, no dig at them, but like they like to include Adam, Adam Hall, like top five Orioles prospects for like the last two years. <laughs> so if you're going to find more Orioles on that list, baseball perspectives would probably be that list. Um, let's see. Are we on to the free agent signings here? Yes. yes. All right. Um, That's tough one. That's tough one. Yeah, so some free agent names we like. Uh, we'll start with the pitchers. We'll go Zach first. I'm going to throw out a name that um, has some Michael Elias connections because he's a former uh, Houston guy. I'm going to say that Vince Velasquez somehow ends up in Oriole over the offseason. I don't know that he's going to actually be part of the opening day rotation, but my guess is that you see him in there somewhere. Um, I'm also going to go ahead and go with a name that I was hoping the Orioles to target last offseason and say Chris Archer, uh, who looked good early on this year before having an injury. So I would throw him in there, and then I feel like they're going to go out and they're going to get at least one pitcher that should actually be in the rotation where you don't have to worry about, you know, when they make it out of spring training. And I'll just say that that guy is Brett Anderson. Interesting, interesting. Vivek says Tyler Anderson, so it's, we're going to get an Anderson one way or the other, apparently. Um, I said we will sign two starting pitchers, one of them more like a lock for a middle of the rotation or maybe the number two starter. I said Michael Pineda. I tried to give um, – he had a really good season, actually, in, in the end, uh, ERA just above mid-threes. But I tried to give contracts. I don't know what these guys are going to get, but I just tried to estimate two-year deal for around $20, 25000000 million for Pineda. And then I said Aaron Sanchez on a one-year deal, kind of the flyer guy who could maybe be the number four starter. Uh, he I think he came back from injury later in the season and looked pretty decent when he did. So those are my pitchers. I didn't. I don't think we'll sign any relievers. I think there's enough options there in-house. Yeah, I mean, I, I know a lot of people want Marcus Stroman and or Eduardo Rodriguez. Those would be great options, but I don't know if the Orioles are going to pay those price tags this offseason. Um, I had Michael Pineda as well. I actually, I've always enjoyed watching Michael Pineda. He doesn't walk anybody, so that's someone that like I would be. I would watch the major league roster uh, if Michael Pineda was pitching that day. Um, I really like John Gray as well, but I feel like the Rockies just gave Antonio Sensatella like sixty something million dollars, and I read that they were they wanted to bring John Gray back. So if Sensatella is getting sixty million dollars, like John Gray is going to get paid as well by the Rockies, uh, which they can pay him like fifty million dollars if they want to. Um, Hundred million dollar contract coming up. At, at least. Um, I know Chris Stoner mentioned Zach Davies, and I've been thinking about that as well. I kind of like that idea. I kind of hate it, but I just feel like he's kind of like a ticking time bomb and when he implodes, it could get really ugly. Um, but I'm going to go Alex Wood as another one. I feel like that's a name that is always popping up as a potential option. He's a solid rotation piece. He went 10 and four with a 3.83 ERA and was worth two and a half. Uh, Fangrass wins above replacement this year with the Giants. So strikeouts were up. Walk rate is low as usual. Um, that could be a, a good option as well to hang out in the middle of the rotation. 
Another Chris Turner favorite. So we'll go now to the infield, and I'll start with Nick on this one. Uh, infield, I had – there are some other guys that I really love, but I say give me Angelton Simmons as the shortstop bridge option. I don't think he gets anything close to $10 million that he got last offseason. And I know the bat's been slipping. It's not that great over the last couple of years, but he doesn't strike out like at all. Uh, maybe being a hitter's park will help. I'm not too worried about flipping him. I just think the defense is still pretty solid as far as like advanced metrics still seem to kind of like him. Uh, so that's, a, I think, a good bridge option, at least. I don't think we're going to recycle through the Jose Iglesias or Freddie Galvis again. So give me Angelton Simmons to help shore up that infield defense. I think we will recycle. I have a signing Jose Iglesias for one year, a couple million bucks. Uh, you know, let him actually play the field this time, full season. It's not going to be great, but he, he at least serves the purpose of buying time for our infield prospects to come up. And then, yeah, just like Vivek says, I've been on the Kyle Seeger or Eduardo Escobar train for quite a while now. And I think we're going to sign Eduardo Escobar for two years, around $15 million. And he'll play third base every day for us until someone pushes him off. I'm going to go with what Nick said and predict Angelson Simmons. I think he fits the mold of what Michael Elias has already talked about, which is the type of player who needs to rebound his stock offensively. Um, Baltimore is a place where he can probably do that because, you know, hitters park, he'll have good hitters around him. And he makes that position better defensively for your young shortstops. And, if I'm comparing him to Iglesias at this point, Iglesias' defense slipped off in 2021. And you can factor that up, you know, it's whatever you want to talk it up to, a one-year fluke, whatever. But I think that Simmons gives you the steadier glove. I predicted Eduardo Escobar a while back when a listener put us on the spot and asked us to say what I think the eight starting uh, positions plus the DH would be one year from the date we recorded that episode. And as much as I would love to stick with Eduardo Escobar, I somehow sense that he ends up out of the Orioles' price range. However, I have a player that I think is meant to be an Oriole, and that's Brad Miller. Plays all over the place, left-handed power, strikes out a lot, but can also draw walks. Bring him into Camden Yards. He could fill in at all four infield spots, the outfield occasionally, and he'll hit for 20, 25 home runs at Camden Yards. Yeah, we could also trade for Paul DeYoung and accomplish the same thing there, too. I was looking for, like, those versatile guys, and I feel like Marwin Gonzalez's name kept sticking around, but I hope to God it's not Marwin Gonzalez. Agreed. I was thinking the same thing. All right, so we all said Pedro Severino is going to be non-tendered, and I guess they could go with Nick Chufo and Austin Wins combination until Adley's ready, quote-unquote, but uh, I doubt it. I think they're going to sign a guy, so who's it going to be? Let's go with Zach. I'm going to stick with the guy that I've been saying here for a while, and it's going to be Sandy Leone. He fits the bill exactly what the Orioles need. Good defensive catcher, can work well as pitching staff, good pitch framer. Um, and he's actually just coming off of serving the exact same role in Miami. Um, young pitchers down there, they had Jorge Alfaro, who was a former top prospect, uh, behind the disc for them. But then Leone was sort of that veteran guy that could, you know, call a good game, throw out base runners. Um, catch the ball. I, I think it's going to be Leon. Um, and I will say that this year, the catcher's market um, is pretty weak when you get past Jan Gomes. Uh, but it is the market that is tailor-made for the Orioles because probably a lot of low-cost veteran options that can play the position well defensively. But I think Leon's the guy. 
Yeah, I could definitely see that. But I had basically whoever will sign the cheapest deal out of Robinson, Chirinos, Jan Gomes, Sandy Leone, that whole collection there. It might even be my minor league signing pick. Maybe they'll just sign like three guys in minor league deals and have them battle it out in spring training. Yeah, I'd probably see that as being the more likely option. Um, I thought about just going saying no, like to a catcher and saying it's going to be like Shufo, but I just don't know how much he's going to be able to hit. Um, Roberto Perez was a name that I saw on the list. I mean, I like his defensive abilities. I know he can't really hit that well, but I mean, he seems like a grizzled veteran type. And I feel like if you're going to bring in somebody, like I want a proven veteran, like a Sandy Leon. I want that type of guy behind the plate with Adley. Um, another guy too, maybe someone worth looking at. I don't know. It was uh, Manny Pena of the Brewers. I don't know. Um, I was reading something about him the other day that I think was interesting that he hit when he hit a line drive or fly ball, like the numbers is big exit velo and good data there on the batted balls, except the the ground ball numbers were kind of through the roof this year. And so that kind of like hurt him a little bit, but he's a decent offensive catcher with Homer and pop and decent glove as well. So it's not a super sexy option, but it'd be an improvement over Severino or wins. Uh, So uh, there's two other names that I could see as possible options. Um, I, I do want to shout out, I think, uh, was talking birdie podcast. What's up, guys? Um, one of I think it was uh, was it Josh, the third co host, the, the newer co host there, uh, Josh out of state Orioles on Twitter. You guys know him uh, for following him. If you're listening to this podcast, you know him. I think he threw out the name Austin Hedges as like a trade piece, uh, from Cleveland, and I would not be mad at that either. So, shout out Josh in, in that prediction for a catcher position. Yeah, I think Roberto Perez has a seven million dollar option for the Guardians, and Austin Hedges yeah. is like a five million dollar option, but. It, the guardians are pretty cheap so they might decline that who knows uh was that oh uh, we will go to next one's minor league signings i've got none <laughs> i did i could i did not have enough time to look through this um i'm sure there's going to be a, a couple of them for sure but i'm interested to hear what you guys have to think if you guys have any names to throw out there i just think i didn't give anyone specific but i think we'll definitely have a, a catcher or two and i think they'll bring in a bunch of arms like that could be relief guys, just like they did last year, the Berettas, the handholds. I know they weren't minor league signings, but Connor Green, someone with upside that they can shove in Triple uh, A to start the year out of the bullpen, and then hopefully, if they're needed, they can come up. Yeah, I agree. I think that's where a lot of your filler for the bullpen is going to come in, um, is probably through minor league signings. That's why I didn't really focus on relievers when we talked pitchers earlier. And I also think you could see another infielder brought in uh, on a minor league deal just to see what they have. Um, Cause I think one of the things that the Orioles didn't really prepare for last year was that their second base depth, which they seem to have a lot of going into camp wouldn't really materialize during the regular season. So I don't think it would hurt to have one or two more options at shortstop, at least uh, just to see what you have. Even if these are guys who get cut in camp and never actually appear in a regular season game with the organization. Yeah. I just think overall, like, on a scale of one to 10, how confident are you guys in that the Orioles are going to spend enough money to improve this roster? Three out of 10. That's, that's fair. Four. Yeah. I'm probably in line with you guys as well, which stinks, but yeah, I think that's the position we're in still. Absolutely. Well, one route could be the rule five draft. Um, do the Orioles once again utilize rule five draft? And if so, do we see one or two selections? Until, yeah, yeah exactly. Until they prove 
Otherwise, always yes with the Rule 5 and the Orioles. I said only one this year. You know, they did two the last couple of years. I'll say they'll take one pitcher. They have the number one pick in the Rule 5 draft. They will pick a nice pitcher and hopefully have a similar result to Tyler Wells. Yeah, you're definitely going to leave a roster spot open for that. The Orioles will definitely use it having the number one overall pick. Ideally, I'm not. I'm assuming CBA is not going to mess with that. We're like, what, five, six weeks probably away from that Rule 5 draft. Uh, and so I'm... I'm going to say yes, but I will defer. There's a comment from Vivek. Uh, I'm going to defer to Vivek. Uh, follow him on Twitter, and I'm sure he'll be tweeting out his thoughts on guys. I know he's been doing a ton of research. I'm going to leave it up to him as to who that will be as we get closer, but we're definitely going to take one. And I do agree with Bob. A pitcher makes the most sense there. I'm going to say yes and that they take two because that has been a track record the last couple of years under Mike Elias is to go with two players in the major league uh, phase of the Rule 5 draft. And as long as that option is available to them, I think they take two, but yeah, picking with the first pick in the rule five draft, I think you definitely take at least one. Yeah, for sure. All right. So the only other way we haven't talked about acquiring players, I think is the waiver wire. And, you know, this is a time of year where guys are going through waivers right now as teams have to get down to their 40 man roster, having players come off the 60 day disabled injured list, excuse me. And uh, will the Orioles utilize that? space once again to get a guy a la Cole Saucer Jorge Mateo what do you think Nick yeah I feel like that's like the daily like my class checklist check email is like coffee check email uh check the waiver wire and so I think John Muley said it best like the Rays I think had a lot of guys on their IL and they're gonna have to create a lot of rosters they're gonna have to do a lot of roster construction as soon as the World Series is over and so definitely watch for them uh watch who is cut or DFA'd off their roster but yeah, I couldn't give you any names, uh, but for sure, I think the Orioles will be very, very busy on the waiver wire trying to find that next Chris Ellis, who was a pleasant surprise to end the year. Oh, yeah, they'll, they'll definitely be on the waiver wire. And I think the Rays are one of the teams they're going to be looking at uh, just because, you know, there is like what John Mule talked about, having to get players off the IL. And they're a team that we know maneuvers their roster a lot over the offseason. So, they're, they're one of the teams I think the Orioles will be looking at heavily, but yeah, expect the Orioles to be active in the waiver wire. Yeah, I'm right there with you guys. And I also said the Rays, just anyone that they try to pass through waivers, we'll, we'll pick them up and see what they have. And we'll end up with 10 guys that were on the Rays 40-man about a month ago. Uh, next question is, who is the new Major League hitting coach and then AAA manager, AAA pitching coach? Uh, we'll go Bob first. I'll do the easy ones first. I think, obviously, AAA manager will be Buck Britton. I'm assuming he will accept that promotion. Same with Justin Ramsey for the AAA pitching coach, which is vacant. And Major League hitting coach, I'm staying all AA, Bowie, all in-house. Ryan Fuller making a huge jump really quickly to Major League hitting coach. I just think he's really good at what he does. He's proven that time after time. He was the hitting coordinator, so obviously they have a lot of faith in him. And a lot of these guys that he's been dealing with the last few years are on their way up. They're getting closer. So I think they want some familiarity there. And I don't see them bringing in a traditional guy, old guy, old white guy <laughs> to uh, lead the hitting coach charge. So I'm going with Ryan Fuller. I'm going to go with Buck Britton as manager at Norfolk and Justin Ramsey as pitching coach. Uh, so Bob and I agree there. But I am going to go as a different in-house option hitting coach and say that the next Orioles hitting coach is Tim Gibbons. Uh, he's out in the Arizona Fall League now, was just at Norfolk last year. I think he moves up to the major leagues, um, so that would be my pick. Yeah, I think you guys hit it. I think these guys definitely just do like naturally move up like the players do, uh, and it's going to be interesting. 
I'm going to be interested to see who these new guys are that fill in the lower level spots because they're definitely going to be guys that we've never heard of. That's the hard thing with here with this question is they're going to be guys we've never heard of. They're going to be young. They're going to be innovative. They're going to be out of some academy or some like D2, D3 college that made huge gains. Uh, and they're going to be bright young minds. I think that's the key thing here is that it, these guys speak with Ryan Fuller. It's like uh, it's, it's a community, I feel like, of these coaches. And so you're not going to see those older hitting coaches come through at all. So definitely good picks there. The LSU football coaches available. Uh, I love Edo and I feel so bad. I hate that uh, LSU was giving up on him, but I don't know how much he can help as far as uh, hitting or pitching goes. Shout out to Edo, I guess. So um, turning back to prospects, what pitchers do we hear rumors of velocity increase? And then for hitters, what, who do we hear rumors of improving slash adding muscle? And I'll start with Bob here. All right, so I went with Mickey Janis for pitchers. I think he's going to get that knuckleball up about two miles an hour. No. Um, I wrote Drew Rum as a wish list. I don't actually think it's going to happen, but, God, it would be nice if he did. And Zach Peek as well as Kyle Burnovich. I know we, we talked to Zach Peek, and he had mentioned he's focusing on his fastball. He mentioned command, but if you're focusing on your fastball that much, I imagine velocity will be a part of it. And Kyle Bronovich, I think he's another guy that could really be, like Jerome, more valuable with a little bit more faster fastball to go with the, the other breaking ball stuff. Yeah. Oh, and offensively, sorry, <laughs> the hitter side. I went with Daryl Hernandez, which I've been talking about, which uh, would be a great possibility there as a breakout candidate. And I think Ag Muscle would be a part of that. And Michelle Dessone, I think he's a really skinny guy. He could use a little bit of good muscle there to increase his power potential. Yeah, with I feel like it is going to be Rom at least is the guy who is there's going to be the most discussion about because he's been so quietly under the radar all this time. I feel like and he dominated high A, dominated in double A for that stretch there, and so there's going to be and that's already been a talking point. Um, personally, I I don't know if he needs to increase the fastball velocity. I just don't see it happening at this point as well. But I just don't think it's a priority for him to be honest. Um, I would say probably the name that gets, I took this question as like, who are the two guys that the organization really feeds us a lot of information about is the joy. I'll have the Joey Ortiz and Kyle Bradishes of next year. And I do think that it's going to be like names that kept popping up to me were like Reed Tremble being the second round draft pick who didn't get to play that much, but they like his versatility. I feel like that's a guy who could grow into that body a little bit. Um, Hudson Haskin as well was another hitter that I feel like is a name that the Orioles really push out. Uh, and could be, he looks like a guy, I didn't get to see him live, like in person, but he looks like a guy who could fill out the jersey a little bit more. Uh, and for pitching, it's it's going to be, this is a tough one. Uh, Peak is a really good answer, um, but I don't know. I'm going to say Brandon Young. I feel like that's a name that they work with a lot. Could he add fastball velo? Probably. He's got a, he's a big body guy. Uh, so I think that's a name that we hear a lot about this offseason into 2022. Yeah, that's my exact pick for uh, pitchers, Brandon Young. And I think that that's, you know, we talked about this a little bit recently and we talked about when Zambioli's on, but I think start getting aboard Brandon Young hype train because we're going to be hearing a lot about him uh, between now and the start of next season. As far as the latter point goes about who we're going to be hearing the most hype about among hitters, I'm going to go with Tremble. Um, I just think that, you know, you're looking at a guy that's listed at six foot 180 right now. There probably is a little bit of room to grow into that body, as Nick mentioned. And I think we're going to be hearing a lot about, you know, tapping into that raw power. 
kind of like what we heard with Jordan Westberg last year is can they tap into that raw power? And I think that Trimble is going to become that guy over the course of the offseason that you're hearing from the Orioles. You know, power stroke looks great. Look for a big year from him. If there's rumors about Samuel Basayo increasing his power, I'm buying the jersey tomorrow. I don't care where, what country I have to order it from. I'm getting that one. DH Gate has great deals. That's where I got my Yusniel Diaz jersey, so <laughs> didn't lose that much money. So we got uh, one uh, prediction prompt here from a listener. Uh, Addy, does the draft order, starting in 2023, 20, change to a lottery like the NBA instead of records due to the new CBA? I will start with Nick on this one. Mm, I don't think so. I don't think baseball goes to that extreme. I don't even know if I really like the NBA lottery style system. It definitely, I get the the point that it kind of prevents teams from tanking like this. I think they'll go other directions to try to avoid this situation, like what the Orioles are doing, these extreme tanks. Uh, but I feel like it's, it's not going to mess with the draft. I'd probably say no on that. I think there will be changes. I don't, I don't think it's going to be like an NBA-type lottery. Uh, I think they're going to do something, though, to try to mix up so pe- teams aren't so guaranteed of you know how high they're going to pick. I, I don't know exactly what it's going to be. I think it'll be something, but it will start in 2023, not, not this uh, coming off season. I'm going to predict the draft stays exactly the same in the next CBA, at least as far as how the order is determined, because I think that by the time you sort out everything that is going to be the big bargaining chip among the players and the owners, that one's going to be left on the table for the next CBA. So I think it stays exactly the same. I'd be curious, you were talking about the draft. I'd be curious to see what if they make changes to the international side of things and if they institute an, an international draft. I know that's probably not going to be part of like the CBA negotiations there, but since we're talking about the draft, that would be something that I, th- I think they should implement. Yeah, listening to the Baseball America podcast, that is coming in pretty soon, I think. They expect it in the next couple of years, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, so a question here from uh, Sim Contribute. Uh, companion question to draft a uh, lottery is minimum salary expenditure. Will there be a salary floor? There's definitely yeah. not going to be a salary cap. I could see them having a salary floor of like 70 million at the most. I don't, if they do it, I don't think it will be very high just because baseball teams like to claim poor. So I'll, my official answer is no, but if they do, it won't be very high. Yeah. It's a good idea again in general, but I'm just I'm not anticipating anything drastic as far as like just thinking about Major League Baseball. Like you said, being pessimistic when you're looking at Major League Baseball is a good thing, and just because Major League Baseball doesn't know what's good for Major League Baseball, and so I I don't see them implementing a, a salary floor like that as well. Even though yeah, that would probably be better for the game, forcing these teams to spend their money, but I just don't see that happening so quickly this year, at least. Yeah, if the owners wanted to put a major bargaining chip before the players, they could put the salary floor in. But I something tells me they're not going to do it. Um, as much as I would like to see it, I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, over under 30%, Michael Givens slash Andrew Miller goes back to Baltimore in a one-year uh, plus a player option. I'm taking the under on both. Absolutely agree. I mean, it would be interesting to see Andrew Miller back when we should have re-signed him to a longer deal after we traded for him. But, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. I would love to have them back and trade them again for outstanding (laughs) prospect capital again. Uh, That'd be great. But, yeah, 
No, I'm good with sending up Michael Givens and Andrew Miller off into the sunsets elsewhere. I'm going to throw out an impromptu prediction prompt here. Will Buck Walter manage in 2022, and if so, where? Yes, and it will be a big mistake because I, I think the game is passing by, but I do think he's going to get a shot. Let's say, what are the openings? Um, St. Louis Cardinals, Buck Walter. No, they definitely want a more analytically driven guy. I'll just say the Padres. I think it might be Ron Washington, but let's just give him the Padres to be Orioles West even more so, and I don't think it's going to help their cause. Yeah, I don't, I don't see him. I wonder if like Tommy Lasorda found success this year, and apparently like Tim Anderson said he wants Lasorda back in Chicago next year, which blows my mind. But again, I'm not a White Sox fan; I don't pay attention. So I mean, Larissa, yeah. Uh, I guess, um, did I say Lasorda? Lasorda. <laughs> that would be tough. That would be tough. Larissa, there you go. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, which which blows my mind. Uh, which I feel like at the same time, like maybe opens the door for a Buckshaw Walter, but I'd say no. And I think I saw today, I think it was Britt Giroli actually, who said that the Padres are thinking about, or they are going to interview Mike Schilt, uh, who the Cardinals just let go. So I think between him and Ron Washington, you're probably going to find someone other than Buckshaw Walter to keep that train going out in San Diego. Buckshaw Walter will be back next year and it will be with the Mets because where is there uh, a weak baseball operations department right now? The Mets. Who needs to make a big splash? The Mets. Who would tweet endlessly about hiring Buck So Walter? Steve Cohen. Or who would tweet endlessly about it's going to be Billy Bean, uh, Theo Epstein, or David Stearns for sure. And then it's already been rolled out, all three of them. Yeah. The Mets are going to Mets. That's just how it's going to be forever and ever. So, any other impromptu uh, predictions you guys want to throw out there? I think I'm all predicted out, but if you got any more, I'll give it a shot. I think we touched on a lot of the major topics there. Yeah. We'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. It'll be interesting. And it should, what, two weeks from now, basically, we should start seeing some activity, hopefully, happen. So, right. the World Series ends. Who's going to win these series that are going on right now in the World Series? Updated picks. I'll say Astros beat the Red Sox, Dodgers come back, beat the Braves, and then Astros over Dodgers once again in the World Series. Hmm. I'm probably going to, because I don't want it to happen, I'm going to say the Red Sox find a way to win. Uh, even though I really don't want that to happen. Uh, I'm going to say the Dodgers close out. So I'm going to say Red Sox, Dodgers, and Dodgers take it in seven games. Mookie Betts, the World Rich. Series MVP. I predict the Dodgers would win it all preseason, so I will stick with them even though they are down 2-0 now. Uh, yeah, somehow I think the Red Sox end up winning the ALCS, and then I will take Dodgers over Red Sox in five. And Vivek is asking, how many games did the Orioles win next year? Early predictions here, guys. What do you think? I'm going to say, without having any clue of how they're going to attack the roster in this offseason, I'm going to say with confidence that, I don't know, like a, a over-under win total, but I will say they do not lose 100 games. I feel 100% confident in saying that. Yes, that is my prediction for now. Um, they will not lose 100 games. And then when we do spring training predictions in a few months or regular season predictions, I'll check back in with an exact win total. I already made a $20 bet on the Baltimore Sports and Life message board with somebody that we will not lose 100 games next year. And I'm going to one-up it right now. We will not lose 90 games. 73-89 and 89 is our record in 2022. And we are excited about contending in 2023. 
if the Orioles go seven, if the Orioles um, don't lose ninety games next year, get ready for endless analysis on their run differential and how it's all a fluke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Orioles win too many games too fast. We might be out of a business here over here with uh, the prospect focus. So <laughs> if they want to extend this for another year and you guys keep checking out these hot prospects, uh, I'm fine with that as well. Yes, exactly. So um, that's everything for our show tonight. Continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the birds. Check out Baltimore sports and life for the latest articles next week. Bob will not be with us next week because he's going somewhere and he's not allowed to say where. Well, you can say it. I'm on headphones. <laughs> okay, yeah. So Bob's going to be on vacation with his family next week. Nick and I, and maybe a co-host, will be on the air next week. Uh, check out at BSL on the Verge for Twitter for updates there on who will be joining us. But, Bob, before you head off on vacation, uh, anything you want to say before you're back in two weeks? This will be the only month where I miss two shows. That's guaranteed. I do not like missing shows. It, it's... I get FOMO for sure. So can't wait to come back. Can't wait to listen to you guys again next week. And hopefully it's a great show, which I'm sure it will be. If you have any ideas for things you want to listen to, like DM us, email us, join the Patreon group and uh, drop it in the WhatsApp group. Let us know. Absolutely. So um, hit us up. If you've got any ideas for next week or for the off season, we'll be recording weekly. Just as a reminder, um, So be sure to continue to listen. Um, For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.